The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's August 11th, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And we originally were coming on this in a very, very celebratory mood, but we just got word that Steelers wide receiver coach Daryl Drake passed away today at the age of 62. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. I know Tony Sperano, the offensive line coach for the Miami Dolphins, passed away actually around the same time last year when he was coaching for them. And I heard a lot of players talking uh, this past season about how difficult that was for them and how well-liked he was. And by all accounts, Daryl Drake, he's held in the same regard. I mean, a ton of players have already come out on social media expressing gratitude towards Coach Drake for helping them, uh, DHB, was one who came out and, and thanked Daryl Drake for pounding the table for him over and over again. So you kind of get a look behind the curtain there. It seems like this guy was a big part in making sure DHB stayed on the team and obviously taught a lot of people a lot of things. I know he coached with Lovey Smith and the Bears for a while. So there were even some reporters out of Chicago that put out tweets thanking this guy that he actually helped, you know, teach some reporters about the game. And uh, by all accounts, just awesome guy. Uh, no surprise, you know, Mike Tomlin has hired a lot of people like that, but it just sucks to hear that. And 62 is way too young. Yeah, no uh, cause of death announced yet. Regardless, uh, very sad. The Steelers are still, I guess the practice is canceled for today and they're contemplating canceling it for tomorrow. But sure, um, prayers are with his family. So moving back to the subject at hand, we are ecstatic that we are able to talk about almost real football now. The Steelers are victorious over over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 30-28. to And I know that this is really mostly about evaluating individual talent, but we really know why we watched the game. It was fun. That was a fun preseason game. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't remember one that was that entertaining in a long time. The big Josh Dobbs-James Washington game last year against the Panthers was fun, but this was kind of fun wire to wire. And I think that there's a number of different reasons for that. I mean, 30 points definitely helps. But there are a lot of kind of interest guys on the field and the quality of football was surprisingly high for a Steelers team that was resting like 18 starters or something. So I'll say that first off, this wasn't just um, football fans grasping at straws for any type of football to be played. I actually thought it was an entertaining game. You know what? That's a really good point. I remember trying to watch these preseason games all the way through the fourth quarter, even before we had the podcast, and it was brutal. It was looking at like looking at the AAF minus ten, and I've just watched the game again all the way through the fourth quarter, and there are there are so many competitors. I mean, so much, almost half these guys won't make the team. 
but I was even watching these guys on the offensive line whose names I just learned <laughs> as I was watching uh, NFL Game Pass. They're good. I mean, these guys are good. And, and as you said, I mean, we have three solid quarterbacks we're going to talk about in a little bit. So they, they opened up the game a bit and made it more exciting, too. For sure. But we are going to talk about the game, really focusing in on positional groups and individuals, because as we know, this is an evaluative period. And we uh, trying to get a projection about who's going to make the team, how they're going to be performed during the season. And of course, we will bring you all the latest news about Antonio Brown Ooh. and the Oakland oh, Raiders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots to talk about there. Do you want to st- – a-, a couple of general thoughts on the game real quick before we get into the positional stuff. The refs, uh, what's the over-under on 80 flags per game from here on out? Well, they certainly were active, and they prob- probably appropriately so. I mean, it's the first game. I, I was – I think it – you just can count on that stuff, but it was kind of annoying. There were 24 penalties and uh, called for 186 yards between the yeah, two so teams. Yeah, so that's the one thing that could have made this game a lot more frustrating to watch. I was able, you know, rewatching it on Game Pass makes it a lot more fun because you can just hit that 10 second fast forward button right when you see the flag come out and it takes you to the next play. But obviously, I'm just kind of tongue in cheek here. It's the refs' first game, too. They're trying to get these players a little bit tighter now that they're playing under the lights and they need to tighten up their stuff as well. But that was kind of, that was a little brutal. Uh, Another thought I had, I just watched the replay from the Kansas city versus Cincinnati preseason game. And Andy Reid played the starters for the first series. Pat Mahomes was in there with Sammy Watkins. I don't know if Tyree kill was in there. He's been injured, but Kelsey and Watkins and all those guys were in and pretty much they picked up exactly where they left off just 36 yarder to Kelsey like 20 yarder to Watkins uh, Mahomes scrambles left scrambles right gets to the one yard line then does a awesome pump fake handoff for a touchdown and then they take Pat Mahomes out of the game you know a couple plays touchdown series and I thought wow that's so interesting because we've talked about sitting players so much over the last few years because we've had the luxury of having great players in Pittsburgh and then the Steelers getting to the playoffs recently so you and I have talked about that in the preseason, and we've talked about it in those Week 18, quote-unquote, meaningless games that they played. And there's two schools of thought. One is just get these guys out of injuries way as much as you possibly can. And that's kind of where we've trended for the past couple of years. I mean, I think you and I agree. We've, we've wanted the Steelers to keep the killer bees off of the field because we saw so many playoff runs end with one, two, or three of the killer bees getting injured. But – I'm intrigued by this thing with Andy Reid and Mahomes because if any offense doesn't need a ton of work, you think you're thinking it's going to be Kansas City and Pat Mahomes, right? But I don't know. Maybe what he's doing is just kind of keeping the keeping the momentum from last season rolling. So you go in there, you carve up a Cincinnati team in the first preseason game. I don't know how many there, you know, players were playing or, or weren't playing on defense. I couldn't really notice, but you get there, Mahomes scores, you take them out. All they do is play a couple games, and the legend of Kansas City rolls on. And now the feeling going into the season is, yep, it's going to be a lot more of the same with with Kansas City. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I thought, kind of last thing on the subject is maybe another strategy you could use instead of using that third preseason game to play the starters for like a quarter. Maybe you just play them for one series every game, like including the third the third game, you take them out. But you let Ben and the opening offense do the first series for like all four games, and it just sort of gets you in a rhythm of getting to a stadium, warming up, 
getting on the field, executing a scripted series, and, and then moving on. But I don't know. Just just a thought. I prefer I prefer that they play a full quarter as opposed to one series. Mainly because there's something to getting on and off the field that you need to get in playing a whole quarter. I mean, and not having scripted series. So, but as far as when they play, this may be recency syndrome or, or confirmation bias or what, what have you, but I think playing that quarter in the third game makes sense. A, we are bubble wrapping the starters. That is the strategy. It doesn't We don't want them to effectively play a 17th game by playing four quarters over the preseason. The third, the third game protects mm-hmm. them for two games. It also gives them game speed. And then it gives you a fourth game, fourth preseason game, just in case you sure. need to tweak something. So, the, you know, you, you don't wait until the very last minute to try out your starters. You get doing it in the third game gives you two weeks to figure out uh, the actual season. So I, I kind of think the current strategy is the right one. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's just an interesting idea I was thinking about. And you've seen the Steelers. I think they tend to start off slow a little bit more than they start off fast. The best first game I can remember them having is that awesome 2015 season where it was Bell's second season and they played the Browns and put up like 30 points, put up like 28 points in the first half and then let the Browns come all the way back and won on a last minute field goal, I think. But other than that, the Steelers do usually start a little bit slow in that first game. I mean, last year was pretty brutal against the Browns. You had them open in New England a few years back. That was pretty tough. So I don't know, maybe there's something to it, but I agree with you. Either way, those are kind of the high concept things. Let's get into the nitty gritty for what was an excellent first preseason game without the starters. Well, we are beyond ecstatic to see the main events having main events. done, probably jumping the bar that we weren't expecting. James Washington showed up, did a magnificent job in, uh, I hope this isn't a, a, a recast of last season, but what was he? Four receptions, four 80 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, so the main events today uh, over the weekend, it's James Washington and Devin Bush were absolute monsters. And this is so encouraging to see. And, and like you said, we saw this last year from James Washington. He absolutely tore it up in the preseason, you know, catching one-on-one balls way down the field. The same thing that he did at Oklahoma. That's a good sign because that's a, that's a sign of a skill set. This isn't serendipitous. This is what he was brought in here to do. Go downfield and make contested catches. Well, he did that last year, disappeared for the whole season. But, you know, I think we should be a little trepidatious. We shouldn't go too crazy. It's just the first preseason game. But I think it's a little bit different this year. I mean, the guy lost about 15 pounds over the offseason, and it shows. I mean, he looked a lot faster and a lot smoother running downfield. So unlike the second play of the game was that 44-yard catch that he had. He basically ran a go route. I mean, he started on the left side of the formation and started running kind of slanted out to the left, basically pressing the corner towards the sideline and then jutted back into the middle of the field. And Dobbs underthrew him, honestly. I mean, he, and then he had to go up and he high pointed the ball, caught it over the cornerback's head and erupted into celebration after the catch as he did with the rest of the catches. And I got to be honest, I loved seeing that because I thought that he was a little bit low energy last year. And you can tell that this means a lot to him and maybe bringing in Moncrief has brought out that extra competitive streak in him. 
because you can see he was pumped to make these catches. But that first catch, that could have been a 95-yard touchdown if Dobbs had, had put it out there. And when I rewatched it, you know, maybe I killed Dobbs a little bit too hard on that. It's just frustrating because we saw Dobbs do the same thing with Washington last year. You're underthrowing guys and you're catching 50-yard passes instead of what should be a pretty routine throw. You just got to throw it far ahead of him, you know, 50 yards in the air. It's not that difficult. But at least the, the throw, it wasn't like terribly behind him. But either way, he was incredible. James Washington, the touchdown catch he had in the side of the end zone with Mason Rudolph, everybody's, you've heard it before. They played at Oklahoma. They did it 3,000 times. Well, it really showed on that play because the defender wasn't even close to him on that. I want to see him make those back shoulder fade catches in the regular season when he's got someone draped all over him. I think that's going to be the difference, but it was a great start. And then the almost touchdown he had on the corner route into the end zone where he toe dragged, he did a great job getting his his back foot down actually. And then his front toe just barely hit the white line and he was out of bounds. So I'm not even going to blame that on him. That's just a little minutia. He'll keep doing that and get better at it. But he was insane. He was amazing. I know we want to move on to Devin Bush, but since we're talking about the receivers, I'll tell you who's really impressive, at least one play, Johnny Holton, the 60 yard reception. He just did a, a magnificent job of, uh, Yards after kept running with the ball down the field and just was one block away from getting to the end zone. Yeah, there were some huge plays too. And then let's get we'll we'll save the rest of the wide receivers uh, to, uh, to when we cover the whole position group in a few minutes here. But definitely a lot of good big plays to talk about. And they started with with James Washington. We already talked about his deep pass. We talked about the beautiful touchdown catch. By the way. Again, you need to look at these plays. There's minutia that you can observe to see how a player is winning. If you just run straight and they blow a coverage and somebody throws you the ball and you catch a touchdown pass, yes, you catch a touchdown pass in the stat sheet, but really anybody could have done that. Anybody can run straight with nobody on them and catch it. Well, on the touchdown catch where he caught the back shoulder fade, look at his release on that play. His release off the line of scrimmage, if you go back and watch the replay, it is silky smooth, beautiful. He just kind of shakes that corner, sets him up, baits him up inside, and that's how he gets himself in position to have some of that extra separation. That's how he makes the cornerback go onto his back feet and and, and not know how to predict whether James is going to keep running past them or if he's going to stop up, especially since they ran the corner route earlier. So that's the kind of stuff you like to see. That's an improvement. He was never that silky smooth last year. He was a little bit lumbering. Adam Lefko and I had a little tweet uh, back and forth after the game talking about the lumbering nature of year one James Washington to now the silky smooth version in year two. And so he had great plays. And we didn't even talk about, like, what did he convert, a third and 21 where he ran like a 20-yard, 22-yard dig route over the middle of the field, made the catch, took the hit, didn't, ball didn't even move move the chains. It's a very Juju-like play. And, and of course, we've seen AB do that time and time again, and Heinz Ward was the king of that. So good to see him use that big body on all different kind of routes. He even took a drag route. You know, a, a five-yard drag where he dragged across the middle of the field and made the catch, ran for an extra 10, 15 yards. We saw him do a little bit of everything, and hopefully he keeps it up. I love that it, it looks like he's turning on some competitive fire. And if he can do that during the regular season, I mean – people are going to hate the Steelers because it just seems like you lose great receivers and you just replace them with more great receivers. Well, speaking of replacing great with great, I think we have Ryan Chazier's doppelganger, Oof. if I'm pronouncing that, Devin Bush. 
in one half, 10 tackles. He was all over the field. Unreal. Unreal. We So uh, we were – NFL ready, right out totally. of the box. NFL ready is is right, and we knew he'd be good. But the first play of the game, he bursts through the line of scrimmage and tackles the running back. And you say, "Oh, I think we have, I think we have something on our hands here." Did he make the tackle on that one? Well, either way, he was right in on it. And I was thinking about this after this incredible game from Devin Bush, where you can tell he's the fastest guy in the field. I mean, he should have had a pick six actually on that deflection he had, where the tight end went out into the flat and he closed in on him so fast and he made the deflection uh, the play was called back because of a penalty but he still should have caught it ran for a touchdown but either way how many times since ryan shazier has uh, not been playing how many times have we seen you know poor vince williams or, or fort or bostick or whoever it is try to lumber let's use the word again lumber after a tight end or a running back in the flat and just not be able to catch up to them bush I mean, he's two times faster than the guys he's covering. So you see that speed on the screen. Obviously, he had an incredible fourth and one stop on a run play where he burst through the line of scrimmage and dragged the, dragged the guy down. There was even another play where they made a really nice pass to, the, to a tight end he was covering where they got 25 yards on it, but he was all over the tight end. It was just a very beautiful uh, throw to a high point, and the, and the tight end made a nice catch. But again, we're just so used to seeing, even back to Timmins, having to fade back into that zone. Remember, even when Shazier was on the team, people were trying to abuse Timmons in coverage when the linebacker has to basically take that deep middle zone and cover the tight ends over the seams. And it's just impossible for a Timmons or a Vince Williams to get deep enough to cover that tight end. And for Bush, it's just casual. And with this great game, it made me think of all the great first preseason games We've seen over the last few years from some of the NFL star players. Juju had like a 50-yard touchdown in his first game. And it was an underthrow, probably by Landry, where Juju jumped up and caught the ball over the guy's head, a la Plexico Burris or Randy Moss, and then ran for the touchdown. So it was a very impressive version of that. Ryan Shazier was transcendent in his first game. Had He had like 10 tackles in the first half, too, against Buffalo, I believe. And then a leaping interception, again, in the middle of the field, covering the tight end on the seam, where he jumped up and caught the ball. First preseason game. The other one I remember is Ezekiel Elliott for the Dallas Cowboys. They were playing the Seahawks. And on the first drive, he burst through the hole. And then Cam Chancellor, who at the time was pretty much the biggest badass in the NFL, he's like Xerxes from 300 except for on steroids. I'm not saying Cam took steroids, but, I mean, he, he might as well because his, his body was video game-esque. So Zeke, a rookie Zeke, meets Cam Chancellor in the hole, and it, it sounded like an atomic bomb went off on TV, and they had a stalemate. It should have been an NFL commercial. But either way, it's just interesting, man. You see some great performances from these rookies in their first game, and you literally could not ask for any better from Devin Bush, who was so much faster than everyone else on the field and very aggressive too. Yeah, let's uh, let's turn our attention now to what what I think made the game really exciting, and that is the the quarterback competition. All three guys got significant playing time in this game, and my primary observation is none of them were afraid to sling it downfield. Yeah, I love that. Not entirely accurate every single time, but that that fearlessness makes me feel better about them coming into a game. Totally agree. Now, look, when you have a backup quarterback, and in my mind. That's what 
these guys are competing for right now. We're trying to see, can you get a high-end backup quarterback? Everyone's going to want to use the Nick Foles example, but you've even seen the guys in New England get coached up like that. And can you survive a game or so? You know, Ben's missed, you know, earlier in his career, he used to miss three or four games a year, and Charlie or Byron would take them to three and one. And I think partially that was because Charlie and Byron were good, but also the defenses were so excellent during this time. So right now, in this day and age, the defense is catching up for sure, hopefully. But these guys are, are trying to be some high-end backups. And, and who knows if Mason Rudolph ends up being able to succeed Ben in three years or whenever it is. You know, I don't know. In my mind, it's just too early to even think about that. But it is exciting to see what these guys can do as backup. With your backup quarterback on a team, you want him to be able to run the same type of offense that the starter runs. He should be Ben Jr. Or look in Baltimore, who's backing up Lamar Jackson. It's RG3, so you can keep doing the same offense. RG3 is a running quarterback, uh, so you can keep doing the running quarterback offense that you do with Lamar Jackson. Ben Roethlisberger for the Steelers, it's a downfield attacking passing offense. So Dobbs... And Mason Rudolph and even Devlin Hodges to an extent, none of them have the big arm that Ben has, or, and none of them really have big arms in general, but they are not afraid to attack downfield, and they did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, and I – so what I really liked is they all showed poise, and I would say especially in the first quarter when Dobbs was uh, under center, the offensive line wasn't clicking yet. He, he was, I wouldn't say running for his life, although he did have a couple of nice runs in there. But it didn't like it didn't look like he got rattled. He he was acting like it was that quarterback drill where they're throwing pads at right. you where you're trying to pick out your target downfield. And he did go through his progression. I, you know, he had a couple of miscues, and I agree with you on the Washington. Washington was essentially wide open except for Dobbs under throwing him on that 44 yard reception. But right. he had he was generally on target and uh, he ran when appropriate. When you know all else broke down, I don't think he was running because he can only go past his first target. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Dobbs actually played very well in this game. You're right; he was off target on a, sup- a couple long throws, but maybe his nicest throw was was it him who converted? I can't remember. Did he? Yeah, I think it was him who yeah, threw it on the twenty two on the twenty one yeah, exactly on that aforementioned yeah. twenty two yard conversion on third and twenty one to James Washington over the middle of the field on a dig route. Like that's a big boy throw. You you really have to power the ball in there and be brave enough to throw it. And we've seen Ben do that year after year. And other teams don't even really go for it like that on third and 21. Uh, but Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers are one of the teams that do go for it. So it was great to see Dobbs make that throw. And his runs were awesome. I agree. It wasn't They weren't panic runs, but he looks faster and he looks bigger and stronger. And he, he, like the first few years when he ran, I was so disappointed because you know that the throwing was going to be rough. It was even a little rough at Tennessee, but you were hoping, hey, get in the NFL and show people that you belong athletically. And he didn't do anything special running. He just looks like he has more conviction in every aspect of his game, from the throwing to the pocket presence. Yes, it's a little chaotic back there. The timing and the rhythm of his throwing is still kind of all over the place, and the accuracy is is come and go, but he's not afraid to push the ball downfield. And on those runs, he looked good. So I think that Dobbs had a good day, uh, definitely, to start it off. And then Rudolph came in after him. Yeah, Rudolph has been getting, uh, not beat up, but I mean, they keep talking about him in practice, how inconsistent he is from a poise standpoint. 
one one time he'll do great, and the next time he looks like a deer in the headlights once he gets past his first read. That didn't that didn't appear to be the case at all during the game. He stood there in the pocket under under kind of significant pressure, picked out his guys, yeah. and he had some really nice passes starting yeah. with the uh, back shoulder throw to Washington for the touchdown. There's two words that come to my mind when thinking of Rudolph's performance from the other night, and it's rhythm and accuracy. Dobbs is kind of chaotic. He was, he was, he was an athlete back there playing quarterback and made some big electrifying plays. Rudolph is, was more the prototypical one, two, three, four, five, hit that back step, release the ball in with perfect accuracy in a nice spiral. Like I said, none of these guys have big arms, but Dob, uh, but Mason Rolf is a good passer, to borrow another phrase from Chris Sims, who does great work dissecting quarterbacks. Some people are throwers, which is like, um, you know, you can throw the ball hard, you can throw it far. Some people are passers, which is like, it's going to be a tight spiral every time. It's going to be very catchable. It's gonna, you're going to have timing. You throw to guys before they even come out of their breaks. When they get out of their break, they're going to catch it right in their chest and in stride so they can run. And then some guys are both. <clears throat> Big Ben, you know, the stars. Mason Rudolph is a very good passer, and that really stood out to me. He was in rhythm. He, when he made these throws, they were nice spirals to a perfect spot, very accurate. And then I agree, he dealt with the pressure really well. So I really liked the night from Mason Rudolph as well. And then the guy we're just, it's just interesting to watch, Devlin Hodges. Looked like, uh, he didn't look like a third string or fourth string quarterback back there. He was also poised. He ran a, he ran a, around a little bit more, but I, again, I think necessarily so. He was getting chased yeah. out of the pocket, but he, he, eluded, um, he eluded the rush and he found guys downfield, and he was sort of a victim of his receivers on a yeah. couple of points. One, I'm trying to find my note, was out of bounds. The other one was Spencer, a drop, Spencer, drop, yeah. who dropped a couple of passes, dropped one of his. Yeah, but did connect on a couple. He did have um, – he was 8 for 14 for 79 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, he was so better than I, that. You're right. Those drops you know, were big. Pretty impressive to have a guy who can put those numbers up and your four-string guy. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, the uh, the computer lagged there. I didn't I didn't hear you talking, but I agree. I mean, the drops were big because I don't remember what the situation was for the Spencer drop, but I want to say it was like a third and ten throw or something, and it was a a laser beam that hit him in the chest. He really should have caught that. So, Devlin Hodges has got the best name of the backups. That that goes without saying. You know, who he really reminds me of. He reminds me of Case Keenum because he does look small back there, and the arm is is decent. Obviously, not great, but. He did have a couple of nice zips in there. It looks like he has to try pretty hard to throw the ball, but he does a good job dancing around behind the line of scrimmage like a Case Keenum. And, and with that body type and very poised, you know, he's the all-time leading touchdown thrower or whatever from the conference he played in, whatever, like, you know, small school he went to, Samford. So you could tell the guy's a gamer. He's very poised. He looked good. I don't know what their plans are for him. Obviously, he got two guys in front of him, but – yeah, he looked very good in there, and I thought that the quarterbacks in general had a great day. So just to talk a little bit about the offensive line, I took a little bit more time to uh, look at the individual performance, and it is impossible, yeah. especially for a guy like me who had a very short stint in the NFL. But <laughs> somebody who did not help himself with Ch- was Chooks. That I spent – it was just sort of a car wreck. He was just getting owned and letting guys through. And that's such a surprise. It's like there were, there, we're actually having a battle between him and Filer. It's not even a question now if that's going to be his performance. 
Yeah, he was brutal, and it was a little bit surprising because last year he actually had to start a game, I think, or at least get significant time, and it really shows you – I mean, first off, guys can have different types of games. Sure, they can be better, they can be worse, but maybe it shows you how much of a unit the offensive line position is because when they had the starting guys in there and a starting running back with James Conner, maybe they were able to cover up for him a little bit more. I expect him to bounce back from that. I haven't heard overly negative uh, opinions about his performance from camp. Maybe he got under the lights and got a little bit of a rude awakening. He had a bunch of holding calls as well. So I agree with you. The offensive line started out pretty putrid. They definitely didn't do Benny Snell any favors in the beginning of the game, didn't open up any holes, but then they settled in and then had some great pass protection after that. Uh, you know, you saw Filer get to play a couple of different positions. We didn't play any of the starting guys, which is good. We don't need to, you know, despite my mad scientist theorizing about the first drive kind of thing. By the way, the, the first drive idea I have with the Kansas City stuff, that's just sort of for fun. I'm not saying they should have done it. It's just worth thinking about. But, yep, nothing really stood out too much except for, unfortunately, how bad Chooks was. Hopefully he can bounce back from that. So to your point that the offensive line did not help out the running game. Benny Snell was 13 carries for 26 yards. Jalen Samuels had uh, two yards for 21 yards, but one of those runs was, was 22 yards. So I'm not sure yeah. if this is just a function of the offensive line. There's not much to talk about here. I mean, there were Snell had a couple, had a, uh, had a nice reception. I forget how many yards he went for, but um other than that, I don't, I don't yeah. see much to talk about in the running game. 15-yarder. I'll say this. I, I was I thought Benny Snell was very unimpressive. Um, now, some people are going to get mad because he's kind of a, a, a fan favorite right away, but I'm not saying that means he's going to be unimpressive going forward. He has the kind of makeup for, for me where I think that this guy is going to – he has a chance to climb the ladder eventually – uh, because of his attitude and his success and his toughness at the other level. But he really does look like a slow college running back, like James Conner did. I mean, Le'Veon Bell didn't look like that. Le'Veon Bell had first-round type pedigree. I remember when seeing him on the field and just the way he made cuts was was just different than what we had seen in Pittsburgh. But he was a lot slower than, Le- than he ended up being in his second year when he came back. You know, Jalen Samuels was the same way. Plotting is the word I use for Benny Snell. Big disappointing play for him was when we, he got that handoff and went around the edge on the left side and was one-on-one with a cornerback there. And he had the angle on him where he should have just stiff-armed him into the ground. And the guy wrapped him up and tackled him at the line of scrimmage. And Snell was mad at himself. And I, I know that Benny Snell can make that play and that he will in the future. Um, but that was pretty pathetic, man. You get tackled one-on-one by a corner on the edge. You got to just pick your feet up and run out of that ankle tackle, or you got to stiff arm them, or you got to run them over. You just got to be able to run past them if you want to do NFL-style stuff. But after that, I thought he did a, Benny did a decent job of pushing the pile on a couple runs where there were no yards to be had, and he showed that trademark toughness. But, yeah, nothing crazy from the running backs. They got plenty of time to improve their stock. So other than the typical – bumps and bruises that we experienced in this game called football we did uh christian scotland williamson left the game with with a quad or a hamstring i believe so uh, a couple of other mistakes later and it looks like zach gentry is tightening up uh, the grip on the third string tight end he did have a a nice catch i mean he was wide open but he did get a nice catch from rudolph for a touchdown and a couple of other receptions kevin raider he of youngstown state if if all you, if right. the difference between making this team and not making the team is a play, he blew it with that fumble in the fourth quarter. So Xavier Grimble didn't play. Vance obviously didn't play. 
I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time breaking down how much how well Zach Gentry blocked, but I did see Raider Pool, and that that is sort of a talent of his. He actually can block a little bit, but man, I don't know how much that one fumble hurts you. I guess they need to look at the body of work. Yeah, I mean, it's wide open at that backup tight end position. I agree Gentry's going to have the lead. It is hilarious watching Gentry in that 81 jersey, and he's like 6'8". I mean, it looks like Jesse James is still on the team, right? Yeah. Running about a 6'2", 40, but catching the ball, leaping in the back of the end zone. I know he was a bit uncovered, but it was a nice catch he made on that touchdown. And if you see the replay, he catches it, falls to the ground, gets up and puts the ball in between his legs. That's a little athlete move. That's subtle, but I don't think Jesse would have done that. So tight ends, yes, they're worth keeping their eye on. The tight end position, the safety position, and the kicker position are really the biggest worries for the Steelers this year because after the injury-prone stud, Vance McDonald, Grimble's even a question mark as a number two. So number three, we'll have to keep on that. If, if Gentry can build off their performance, that'll be great. So offensive line uh, – sorry, defensive line. I didn't, uh, I didn't spend much time on – on the defensive lines, the the Buccaneers. Not that this is all on the defensive line. Had 89 yards rushing on 22 attempts, 4.0 yards yeah. per carry. I don't. Did you notice anything in particular? I thought Bugs was pretty good. He's the only one I was trying to watch. Isaiah Bugs, who was the draft pick from this year, and uh, he he got himself into the backfield a few times. I thought that the defense got run over a little bit in the first two drives of the game but again i'm not going to read too much into it nobody really stood out or did anything insane but i thought bugs looked like he belonged so that's encouraging so there was a lot more action from the inside linebackers a matikavich his sack i I thought it was a bull rush but he just he sort of just allayed the uh the running back and and it was a magnificent sack and he forced the fumble that i think bugs picked up at the end it was beautiful. I forgot. Was it Bug? Yeah, I don't know who picked it up, but if it was Bugs, good for him. It was a beautiful pass rush by Matikavich, and he's going to be another one of those guys with Chicolo and, you know, hopefully not James Washington. Hopefully James Washington will barely be playing in the preseason going forward. But he's Matikavich is going to be a preseason stud because he is such a good football player. He's a really good player, and it just sucks he's so slow because no matter how well he does, I mean, I do feel decent about him you know, being like your fourth linebacker on a team, break glass in case of emergency, you get a guy who, who's going to know the defense and who knows football, but, you know, you can't match him up on a tight end or a running back. He's just going to get run by eventually. But the guy's a really good football player and obviously incredible on special teams and, and just good for morale kind of guy. He's got that, that, he's got that great gap-tooth grin with the headband and the red hair. He's the man. But Robert Spillane... Little brother, the, another Blaine. Caucasian, the amazing Caucasian, number 49. No swag on that number, but he had the game of his life. He had like a pass deflection. He, had, he, he was all over the place. And I, and I meant to take some bullet points on all the plays he made, but he really had a little bit of everything, and he looked very good as well. So the competition in that room, I've just – I don't know the last time I've seen this level of competition from position to position on the Steelers. I mean, huge, significant competition at receiver. Like, you're competing to be a starter who's – and think about this, man. You're competing to be a starter with Ben Roethlisberger on the Steelers where you've seen guys for over a decade now. You make the plays. You're going to make a lot of money. So there's a lot that's at stake to be that big receiver for that. Even the defensive line, we're talking about bugs. McCullers is still hanging in there playing well. You have a Lulu, and then over here at Matikavich, this Robert Spillane guy, 
I don't know how much room they have for him on the roster because you have Vinny, Barron, Bush, and Matikiewicz already at inside linebacker, but this guy could be a special teams demon based on the way he played. So a lot of fun watching those guys play uh, in that first game. Well, my note was your note about being all over the field. The other note I had was that he had a great kickoff coverage tackle, but he was so busy flexing for the camera, he didn't notice that the ball was fumbled, that he dislodged the ball and it was rolling, and he was there in front of the camera. And I will also note with uh, Glee, because we must not have hired that Stanford MBA yet, Tom lost yet another challenge. He didn't just lose the challenge. He lost the challenge in which the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fumbled and recovered their own fumble, plus took a 10-yard holding penalty anyway, so they, they were losing 10 yards. So he challenged a fumble that would have gained the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' yards. It, he, <laughs> the Buccaneers fumbled, they recovered the fumble, and he challenged it. What? Plus, the Buccaneers got called for holding, so they actually ended up losing 10 yards on the play anyways. Mike Tomlin should not be allowed any there needs to be a restraining order issued on behalf of all nfl challenge flags towards mike tomlin he should be not he shouldn't be allowed near any of them it, it, it's a joke i think he hasn't won one since 2016 by the way i just read that he's like oh for 10 in the last regular season one so that brutality continues that's something to watch honestly things like kicking game and mike tomlin challenging those are things to watch for the year so you and I had this discussion before the podcast about um, well, edge rusher. It. Yeah, I, I watched him, and I watched him again in the first guy. I, the first quarter was not impressive. In, I'm not sure it was his job not to get into the backfield because he was succeeding at that, not getting into the backfield. Sure, I think he did have two quarterback pressures or hurries. He really should have made the sack on one where Bush came in on a delayed blitz, and it it really does remind you of Shazier, man. I mean, it, it's just crazy how fast. Devin Bush is in his change of direction. He got in there and flushed Jameis out. And Ola was actually converging on him at the same time. But he didn't take the right angle. And Jameis was able to spin out of it and run down the field for like a 12-yard gain. But I think the thing with Ola is he's been so hyped over the over the camp period. And he did so well in last year's preseason. I think we all expected him to come out and have three sacks. So maybe the bar was a little high. Yeah, he didn't play out of his mind, but I'm leaving leaving a little bit at a time for him because from all reports so far, he's been great in camp. But yeah, he didn't have like a crazy good game or anything. Yeah, I would have expected him to have a couple good plays, which he did. And I also give him credit. He did he did an excellent job on kickoff coverage. I so think- um it's it's going to be his, his body work going forward. I mean, obviously, they're giving him yeah. a lot of props during training camp, which then takes us to the corners. And I took picked up on your cue, and I did watch Justin Lane, and I just want to say poor, poor Justin Lane. It was hard not to watch him. Yeah, so Chooks and Justin the, uh, Lane. The missed tackle. Yeah. The missed tackle on the touchdown was sort of like classic Steelers from two years yeah, ago. Classic Steelers from so we don't do that anymore, Justin. years, right? <laughs> but... Yeah, he was brutal. Chooks, Okorafor, and Justin Lane were the Devin Bush and James Washington of the bizarre, of the upside down, if you were, of the bad side. They they played as poorly as Washington and Bush played well. Pretty brutal welcome to the NFL moment for Justin Lane. Hey, he's a project corner, so you don't like to see a start like that. I don't want to say it's to be expected, 
but it's not like he's this polished guy that's come in here. Hopefully that helps him wake up a little bit and, and realize that he needs to be a little bit more physical. It doesn't sound like he has any confidence. It doesn't look like he has any confidence. And really that's the position where you need it the most. You need to, you need to have some brass balls out there corner because you got to take some risks. And he was playing off coverage on guys and they were catching it easily underneath him and running for yards. Then he was playing off coverage and they were running by him. So you, you can really see that he wasn't trusting what he was seeing. And it was brutal that he played like that. But hey, maybe all these cornerbacks being injured and him having to start, maybe it's actually a decent thing. So he gets thrown into the fire a little bit during the preseason because hopefully we won't have to see him too much during the regular season. So I know you share with me the feeling that we are not going to breathe a sigh of relief until we've won the Super Bowl on a Chris Boswell 53-yard field goal. Right. But he did make a 57-yard field 47. goal and another field goal and was one for one in extra points. Yeah. 47? Sorry, 47 Yeah, he yards. was good. Uh, I, list, I put out the, the – what would you call it? The, the required tweet for any Steelers bloggers of which players I'm looking forward to seeing play the most – in this preseason game. And the first one I listed was Chris Boswell. I mean, he's the difference between 2017 and 2018. In 2017, he bailed the Steelers out and gave them some wins that they should not have gotten. I mean, it, Ben and AB did their part in that with many of those last second drives where some 30 yard miracle from Ben to AB, but then Boswell was converting 45 and 50 yard field goals as time expired to win games. I mean, he won them a game in the playoffs against the Chiefs with only field goals. That was the year before, I understand that. But, and then, uh, you know, last year he missed routine kicks at the end of games that the Steelers should have won. So really got to keep an eye on him. Obviously, it's just the preseason, so the pressure isn't quite the same. But I don't know, man. That, there's a lot of pressure there. You're the only game in town. You're like, as far as preseason games go, it was a nationally televised preseason game. And it's under the lights and you're in a stadium and you're putting that uniform on and you're probably feeling similar to how you felt last year going into games and you know everybody's eyes on you. And if you miss one kick in the preseason that's under 50 yards, people are going to be talking. So I do think that there's a lot of pressure on him. And to hit that 47-yarder especially, that's a good sign. Yeah, and there's a guy breathing down his throat, Matthew Wright. So – we also, we, uh, on special teams, again, I thought yeah. Johnny Holton did a nice job uh, on return. So did, so did Spencer. I mean, the, the, the receiving, um, sorry, the return game seemed to be so. Spencer had four, re, four punt returns for an average of 13, and um, he had one kickoff return for 35 yards. So even though he of the, yeah. he of the droppy hands uh, did, a, did a pretty good job on returns. He did, and I actually didn't know this. A lot of people might have known this, but I heard during the broadcast that he had the CFL record for like yards in a game, which is like 450 or something when you combined his kick return yards with his receiving yards. So you see he's got a talent for that, but these two guys looked good on special teams. Johnny Holton's best play, I mean, he he actually had an amazing game. I mean, obviously the long catch and run that you referred to earlier in the show was incredible. But also, he had a great play as a gunner, outrunning two guys and forcing the fair catch on a nice punt by Barry. That's what you're really going to need to make the team or the practice squad or whatever it is. I'm not sure about the eligibility of those two guys. Holton played for the Raiders before, and Spencer was in the CFL. So I'm not sure what the practice squad chances are for them or what it is. But you and I were talking about something else when referring to these guys. What's up? 
actually, you know what? Before I get to that, you made another good point with Spillane and Adinier. Those are some kind of guys that you want to see making good plays on special teams because I think that the, the Steelers can have great coverage units this year because you have young, very athletic guys who actually have some experience but are backing up some veterans. So um, I think that they got good guys. But I digress. Back to Holton and Spencer. It's cool seeing these receivers have to battle out for these reps behind the main six guys. But sincerely, like, what are the what are the coaches looking for in these guys? Are they just looking for someone to have a monster preseason to, to unseat either Eli or Switzer? Or are they looking for guys to join their practice squad? Because the Steelers usually keep five receivers, and I have trouble seeing them keep – I mean, they're keeping six this year. You have – Juju, Washington, Moncrief, Deontay Johnson, Switzer, and Eli. And these, these are all like big-time guys. I mean, obviously, you know, Johnson's a, a rookie, but he's, they have big plans for him. He's a third-round draft pick. Switzer and, and Eli have made big plays and big games. These are really good NFL wide receivers. And they both offer kick return and punt return value, you know, especially Switzer. So... I, I really can't see Holton or Spencer unseating any of the wide receivers already on the roster, but I mean, they, they do a good job as well. You know, what's, what one thing to look at is there's not some old guy here you have to replace. You don't have to worry about right. AB 10 yards into it, 10 years into it. The old man in that group is Eli Rogers at five years. So I, I I'm leaning towards what you're saying. It's not like, um, you need to be poised and, and reload with youth. It's a pretty youthful group to begin with. So I could see them keeping those guys. And anybody else is going to have to be a special teams guy or a practice teams guy. So one thing I just wanted to do a brief overview is look at the any of the draft picks we didn't cover in this segment. Just a, two seconds on how they did in this, this, um, in this game. Devin Bush, we covered. Don, Deontay Johnson, he's, he was held out. Yeah. Justin Lane, we talked about. Benny Snell, Zach Gentry, Sutton Smith was held out as well. Oh, Isaiah Bugs had a had that fumble recovery, but who we did not cover is Ulysses Gilbert, who had a tremendous game. He's fantastic. So if you look at this list, Devin Bush A plus, Deontay Johnson no grade, Justin Lane unfortunately an F, Benny Snell I'm not going to grade it wasn't that great. Gentry he scored a touchdown. Sutton Smith didn't play. Isaiah Bugs. He did a good job, arrow up for him. Ulysses Gilbert gets an A-plus, too. He was all over the place. And on the last play of the game, on that two-point conversion attempt, he was literally playing cornerback on the outside receiver, who was a running back in this case, who ran a slout, slout, brr, who ran a slant route, and he jumped the route a la Malcolm Jenk. What's the dude's name? That evil Malcolm Butler for the Patriots in the Super Bowl against... The Seahawks, he jumped the route and made the pick and end the game like that. So he was showcasing his elite athleticism in 4-3, 4-4 speed or whatever it is. And he's a guy that also complicates Spillane's situation on the roster because I would love to see this guy make the team and be a special teams demon. And his performance the other night goes a long way to deciding that. One and a half sacks, four quarterback hits. And let's not also forget about um, not, a, not a draft pick, Tuzar Skipper, four quarterback hits and a Huge. sack yeah. himself. So a lot of competition out there. If we look at last year's uh, last year's draft, draft picks, Terrell Edmonds, he won the Joe Green, I think, uh, rookie of the year from last year, yes, right? Yes, he did. 
Did, did any other rookies get no. to play? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> James Washington, we covered. Mason Rudolph. Chooks. Marcus Allen. I didn't, he, I didn't, he didn't really hear from much. him. No. No. And, and Jalen Samuels we talked about. So what are your bets that Joshua Frazier, last year's seventh-round draft pick, is still in the NFL? Oh, that's going to be a tough one. But I, I can make that bet pretty easily. The odds are low. And I can check those odds and make that bet on mybookie.ag. It's hard to believe, but football is back. The NFL preseason has already kicked off, and now it's time to bet money on football. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man. That's right. I'm talking about mybookie. Sports betting is exploding in popularity. If you want to get in on the action with a trusted company that's been in business for years, mybookie is the place for you. With an easy, no-hassle mobile site, 24-7 customer service, and bets on every sport and prop imaginable, MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. Maybe you think that the Steelmen will win the Super Bowl. Maybe you think that the Steelmen will win the Super Bowl by a record-setting 80 points. Why not make money when your prediction comes true? And if you deposit today, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's right. You put in $100, bucks, they will give you $50. You put in $1,000, they'll give you $500. It's that easy. Football weekends are the best, but they're even more thrilling when every touchdown can win you money. So go to mybookie.ag online and sign up today with promo code OUTPOST25. At mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. What is the pivot point we're going to look back to 10 years from now where AB just went insane? Well, I actually think that it was last year around this time was when the signs started showing that he was starting to go from kooky to crazy a little bit. So for anybody who somehow has been living under a rock and hasn't heard, AB has gone crazy. He's been allegedly, and there's now conflicting reports about this, but reports came out saying that he was radio silent away from the Raiders for a few days. Imagine that. I bet they thought, oh, our head coach could get a hold of him. Our owner could get a hold of him. He would definitely answer to those people. Mm -mm, Well, maybe you didn't do your homework when you traded for the guy. But he went into a cryogenic therapy chamber without the right protective footwear and got frostbite on his feet. So that's been holding him out of almost every single practice in training camp. And then basically the report came out. Look, guys, I'm assuming you've heard the report. It's all over the place. But he is throwing a huge fit because the NFL – has disallowed use of his helmet, of the type of helmet he uses. He uses the really old school helmet that he's been using for his entire career. He had been throwing fits at the Raiders facility that they won't let him use the helmet. They told him, hey, you can't do this. He apparently got very vocally upset, imagine that, and saying that, it said that uh, the NFL isn't making Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers change their helmets. They use the same one. This is unacceptable. I should be allowed to use what I want. And then he left practice. The Raiders staffers, and this is hilarious seeing them scramble the way Pittsburgh had to scramble. The Raiders staffers got video of Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay Packers training camp, indeed using the new updated helmet. They texted Antonio Brown video of, of Aaron using this helmet. Like, no, no, you see, they're even making Aaron Rodgers use this helmet. Please come back. AB comes back, doesn't mention the incident at all, pretends like nothing happens. But then the next day comes around and he has uh, allegedly painted over his old helmet to 
quote unquote approximate the Raiders colors, but not exactly. So there's memes going around the end of, uh, everywhere on the internet of like a Steelers helmet with basically like Sharpie, just silver and black scribbles all over it and like a Pittsburgh Pirates logo on the side instead of the Raiders. So he comes there, gets out to practice and everybody's like, hey, uh, that's the same helmet. You, you can't wear that. Because the Raiders can get penalized if any of their players are wearing these old helmets. Last year was the grace period. So there were like 20 players who still who hadn't updated to the new helmets, and A.B. and Rodgers and Brady were some of them. So then after that, he throws another fit. And long story short, he's absent for days, and the story comes out that the absence isn't just about the frozen feet, the frostbitten feet. People are hearing that he doesn't want to play if he doesn't get to wear his old helmet. And then Schefter releases a report saying this just in, Antonio Brown has said that he will retire from football if he's not allowed to wear his old helmet. Then another report comes in saying that on Friday, Antonio Brown had been in a two-hour meeting with the NFL discussing the use of the helmet or not. So it's just crazy town. And I have a few thoughts on the subject. What, what do you think when you heard all this, when you were hearing it, and then maybe when the dust settled now that you have the time to kind of think about what's going on? I think he's crazy. I, this was known last year. This wasn't a surprise. They were given, uh, so Brady, uh, Rogers at all were giving a waiver or grandfathered for one year, knowing that this year was the last year was the last year to use these, this, these uncertified helmets. So it was a known factor. And, and if I'm the Raiders, I'm out of my mind because this guy decides to pick a fight based on something that was known last year. I'm also out of my mind because he's pulling the same things he did with the Steelers. He's coming to right. team meetings late. They, they say he's a distraction, which means he's like he's that kid in fifth grade in the back, just won't get off his phone and is watching cat videos or whatever he's doing. So he is not being a team guy. You know, he is all about A.B. And this is the guy who won't cut his yard in that neighborhood and the neighbors are up in arms, all the one percenters. So I, I think, no, I I think he's crossed some kind of Rubicon mentally because, you know, I'm going to stop playing football because I don't get this unsafe helmet, which by the way may have led to some of the crazy because he's using an unsafe helmet. Uh, That's true. It's definitely true. So, and you're right about the reports of him being a distraction in meetings and such, because This frostbite thing followed by the helmet thing seems to have opened the floodgates on the classic anonymous team sources on releasing some more information about what this guy's doing. And it's not just watching cat videos in the back there. They have specific details of he shows up late to meetings. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like you guys didn't do your homework. He shows up late to meetings. Imagine that. And then while he's in meetings, he usually has two or three tablets going on along with the cell phone at the same time constantly checking his bank account and liking pictures on Instagram. And so there's a couple things that I, that I think, yeah, Sorry. yeah, man, he's 31. And so you're in the demographic. We're on the gram, but a couple things here. So I can't help, but feel the shot in Freud. And you know, you feel some redemption, especially when you think about so many of the national media who trashed, Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger for this, you know, you're trashing the head coach and the quarterback. That's how it goes when you don't really know how to formulate an opinion on football. That's what you do when you don't know what you're talking about or when you're in a lot of the national media positions. So I get that. But so many people tried to place an inordinate amount of blame on Tomlin and Ben for, for 
AB leaving and basically try to insinuate that he's justified because it must be so hard to work with these guys, especially Roethlisberger. Oh, well, Ben and Tomlin aren't over in Oakland there, but the identical things that happen in Pittsburgh are happening in Oakland. So are you going to apologize for that? Probably not. Some people are. Some people are saying, oh, wow, maybe this was more an AB problem than you thought originally. But other people, and those same national people who were trashing Ben and Tomlin, they were also trashing a lot of local Pittsburgh writers, calling them homers to Roethlisberger. For some reason, the national media took AB acting crazy as an, ex- as an excuse, a door into criticizing Roethlisberger, which is a fun thing for people to do. And then they criticize local media guys of just trying to be homers and protect Roethlisberger, which is just ridiculous because if any of us had followed the Steelers, you know the laundry list of the 20 things that AB had done, whether it's throwing the furniture out the window or claiming that his car got stolen and then it didn't get stolen. All the weird kind of manic interviews he gave in training camp last year about not needing football and just being suppressed personality wise, which is crazy because nobody in the league got more leeway of showing personality in term, uh, than Antonio Brown. And if you really followed the situation, you saw that Antonio Brown had been going down this path for quite some time. I think it's hilarious that the Raiders and Gruden must have such enormous egos that they thought he was going to come to Oakland and be a model citizen. Antonio Brown has been late to meetings for nine years in Pittsburgh. We knew that even before all the controversies started happening. AB was allowed a lot of luxuries in Pittsburgh, and you see that this is the kind of guy that Mike Tomlin was dealing with, and maybe you should give him a little bit more credit for being able to manage it so it didn't get this crazy this quickly. But I can't believe Gruden thinks like he's going to change because now he can play for my 1998 offense who couldn't even get Amari Cooper the ball, then Amari Cooper goes to the Cowboys and becomes an all-pro again. I mean, but it's true. Everything I'm saying is true. It, it, like the fact that you'd be surprised that he's late to meetings, that's weird. I thought that you would accept that when you trade for him. Like you're taking a risk like people did on Terrell Owens. Like, hey, this other stuff is going to happen, but we don't care because the production on the field is going to outweigh that. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, after feeling some of the satisfaction redemption from that, I do sincerely f- feel afraid for Antonio Brown because as much as I dislike him right now for the just nasty and unnecessary way that he left Pittsburgh trying to slash and burn everything on his way out and just seem sort of ungrateful and I know it's a business but it's different with the Le'Veon Bell who's being uh, handcuffed you know and in, in his ability to make the most money that he can and he's using a weapon and a holdout that he's legally allowed to use and the Steelers were using a weapon in a franchise tag that they were legally allowed to use a B the way he left was just nasty. But at the end of the day, he's still like easily one of my favorite Steelers of all time. And I'm scared for the guy because it really does seem like he's passed from kooky to there's there, there might be some, there are some mental issues that he might be having right now that he's not getting the proper help for. And I don't know if he'll get the proper help for it. And I don't want to see the E true Hollywood story of this guy 10 years down the road, if he's broke and, and in trouble or something, because to quit and leave the $30 million on the table or whatever he has guaranteed in Oakland, that'll be too crazy. And you've seen this guy has lavish spending habits and stuff like that. We've seen this with actors or singers or athletes before. And so I I don't want the Raiders to be good in any way. And I don't want him to succeed over there. They're in the AFC, but I also don't want him to crash and burn and get in real trouble. So I hope 
he can get the help he needs to do that. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs go to Heinz Field this Saturday at 7.30 for the next preseason game, and we will have it in all its glory next week, same time. So, again, we'd love to get your feedback and check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.